0: number of years ago, I was driving by the home of a friend on a beautiful fall evening and I looked up at their, their uh, nice home up on a hill with the, the soft light shining through the windows and uh, it, was, it was a beautiful scene and I imagined uh, what a beautiful scene it must be within the home, probably them sitting around uh, the fireplace enjoying each other's company and, and it was a, an idyllic thought that I had about this home life for my friend and, and his family Uh, I told him about this a couple days later about my vision of of their home life and he said oh that night that might what night my wife and I were in a terrible fight my daughters were being awful and there was discord disharmony it was ugly the outside image did in no way reflect the ugliness that was going on inside that home And now as we are sheltering in place, I wonder and am concerned about those who are sheltering with those who do not feel safe. Sheltering maybe in fear, not of the virus, but of the people with whom they're sheltering. And I I encourage us all to lift those folks up in prayer that we might, uh, that God might protect them and strengthen them during this very challenging time. But at the same time i want to help us to understand as believers what our homes should look like what it should be like within our homes we looked last week at chapter 2 and in chapter 2 of first peter we we read about um, how we are to be in relationship to our governments we are to be supportive we are to be um, those who subject themselves to the rules of the government of course not always but generally speaking, uh, in in a much greater way than most of us probably would naturally do so. We are also called to subject ourselves, uh, to choose to subject ourselves to our employers. In other words, to be good employees, to be those who support the organization, support uh, our coworkers, and support the... um, the values and the goals of the organization even when our bosses might not be helpful or kind to us this is a difficult choice for many to make but it reflects the goodness and grace of jesus christ who who subjected himself to humanity taking on our humanity taking on suffering taking on struggle and that does not mean of course that we are to be doormats and let uh, the world roll over us but have a general but to have a general attitude of support of encouragement for uh, those around us and that same principle moves now into the home in first peter chapter 3 i think a theme verse of first peter thus far would be chapter Two verse 12 where Peter writes live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us now pagan doesn't mean those who are running crazily through the streets pagan just in this context means those who are not believers and Peter says the way to interact with those who are not believers is to live good lives he moves then into the home with advice to Wives, And he says, in the same way, in the same way, referring back up to how we are to um, interact with governing authorities and our employers, in the same way then, women, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now, remember that word, submit yourself, again, it is a middle voice word, which means you do this, you choose this. It's not someone lording it over you. And it is a word that probably is not best translated submit, maybe uh, in the original thought of what submit means it, it is, but uh, our, our culture has uh, made this word a really bad word. And it really doesn't mean what people think it means if they think it means to just lay down and let the world trample you. Submit is a word that means it's hupotasso, which means hupo, to get under and lift up and support to support the the world around us, to be good citizens, to be good employees, and to be good spouses. And here, with his advice to women, he says um, that as you live a good life before your husband, if your husband's not a believer, you may not be able to win him over with your words, but you will much more likely be able to win him over with your actions by demonstrating the grace of Jesus Christ and by demonstrating what Christ has done within you, that you have a, a strength of a character, a strength of um, personality that comes from knowing that you are 100% unconditionally accepted by God through Jesus Christ that you have a settledness of your spirit, that you no longer are trying to prove yourself. You are no longer trying to win every battle because the war has been won for your soul, for your value, for your purpose. And that war has been won by Jesus Christ. You have purpose and value because of what he has done for you. And that truth settles in your soul. And that's why Peter says, your husbands may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is great worth in God's sight. Now, I don't think Peter's telling us not to wear decent clothing, not to make ourselves look attractive, you know, within reason. But I believe that he's saying that true attractiveness is inside. And we remember that God has on many occasions through scripture said, uh, humans look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. It is in the heart that we relate to God. It is in the heart that we have our sense of self, our sense of person. It is in our soul that we truly exist. So what Peter is saying is make sure that your soul is pure, that your soul is confident in your walk with God, in your relationship with God. And don't make such a big deal about just making the outside look good when the inside is not we are called to be people of depth people of character not superficial people who only look on the outside it means depth over shallowness and then we ask what does this do what does this depth of character do in a spousal relationship? Well, uh, here it says that you can show your spouse, the, the husband in this case, God's goodness, God's grace, and God's power. You can demonstrate God's love and acceptance for you, and then, because you are loved and accepted, you can demonstrate that kind of love and acceptance for the other. You can provide your spouse what he's looking for, respect and encouragement. And then Peter makes an appeal to the women of the past and how they responded to God's grace and God's work within them. And I I, I read an article that took us back to look at some of the women of the past, if, if the past he's referring to is Uh, are the women of the Old Testament. We have, of course, Rahab, who hid the spies and then said uh, that they had gone off, and she is commended. We find Deborah, a judge of Israel, a ruler of, of all of Israel, who did some amazing things. We find Esther, who, as the queen, who was not supposed to approach her husband without being asked to, chose to, nonetheless. We find Abigail, a beautiful story, and if you have time today, I encourage you to look at 1 Samuel 25 and the story of Abigail and her husband and their interaction with David. Her husband was, um, I don't know if the Bible says this word in any translation, but he was a jerk. He was arrogant. He was rude. He uh, refused to help David and his troops, even though David and his troops were guarding his Uh, property and he got himself into some trouble with David through his attitude but his wife Abigail came out and met David and in meeting him said please don't do what my husband would lead you to do but accept this grace and in so doing she saved her husband and she saved their home but the, the example that Peter uses is Sarah. Sarah, who did choose to leave home with her husband Abraham, who shared his vision for that departure for their new life. He, she went along with some weird plans that Abraham had on occasion uh, and supported him in that way. But none of these women are known to be those who just simply wait for their husbands to tell them what to do. These are women who are strong. These are women who are empowered. And you cannot truly understand this passage if you don't understand the egalitarian nature of the relationship that God desires that husbands and wives have. As I've researched this passage and the similar passage in Ephesians chapter five, I've come more and more and more to be confident in this egalitarian role that God has for husbands and wives. Wives or women in the Old Testament, those who get any press, get any ink on the pages of scripture are usually strong women who have done amazing things. They don't sit at their husband's feet doing only their husband's bidding. So there is a way that they are supportive of their husbands. There is a way that they are called to be um, encouraging them. But this does not mean that they lose their sense of self, their sense of call into God's service. In fact, there's a place in Genesis 21, verse 12, where God says directly to Abraham, listen to your wife, do what." Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. This relationship is a mutual relationship, but it is characterized by support, by encouragement, by sharing in um, in shared goals and shared mission. And then it says, do what is right and do not give way to fear. In verse 6, once again, we find the amazing power that is ours in having a relationship with God. The amazing power of that settledness, that depth of confidence that comes from knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we are loved, knowing that we are accepted, and fear therefore has no place. We can be confident we can be confident in our place within God's kingdom. Husbands, in the same way. It's very interesting how the New International and other translations translates this verse. In verse seven we read, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. That be considerate is not in the Greek. So what, what are husbands to do? It's not hard to figure it out. We look to the previous verses, in other or submit to governing authorities, submit to employers, submit wives to your husbands, husbands in the same way. Submit to your wives. The word isn't there, but the implication is strong. Very similar to a passage in Ephesians chapter five where Paul starts and says, Submit yourselves to each other out of reverence for Christ, and then says wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. But the the context tells us that this this kind of submission, which again is not uh, laying yourself down and letting someone walk all over you, but sharing in their goals and their dreams, is for wives and for husbands. Husbands in the same way, live with your wives and respect them. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, some may say, hey, in my house, if the pickle jar is, is stuck and nobody can open it, she does it. He can't open it. He's weaker. Maybe. I don't know. Not in this house, of course. That's beside the point. We are not saying that women are always weaker. But there, that especially in that society, women were considered weaker. Women had fewer advantages in the culture. And the man's role then was to support and encourage her. Not to say, you're weaker, I'm stronger, therefore I'm the boss and you're not, but to encourage and nurture her. And to love her well, treat them with respect as co-heirs, heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. If there's, if there's anything in this passage that that says it most strongly, that men and women are called together to reflect the image of God, it is right there. Women and men co-heirs of the kingdom, women and men working together, if they are both believers, in order to encourage each other's walk with God, encourage each other's service to God, encourage each other's confidence in what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. A man and a woman who love well understand the other and desire to support and encourage them. I encourage you to uh, look up a website. It's www.5, the, the number five, lovelanguages.com. On there you'll find a quiz that will help you discover your love language and your spouse's love language, or anyone else in your life that you would like to know, How can you best bless them? Sometimes we think well uh, that we we look at everything through our lens through what we like, and we try to help the other person bless the other person in ways that maybe they don't receive the same way we might, so this is a wonderful way to uh, understand uh how your this uh, how the other person receives love, and then you can Demonstrate your love in ways that bless them. I encourage uh, husbands and wives and anyone else uh, to take this and, and learn how you can bless other people. And notice what Peter says is the consequence of not treating wives well. He says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. One preacher said it like this. If anyone is about to hurt my daughter, my relationship with that person will be in serious jeopardy. Wives are daughters of God. God loves them. They are co-heirs. If you mistreat with words or any other way, your spouse, you are in trouble with God. Your prayers will be hindered, your relationship with God will be hindered. Honor each other and thereby honor God and God will continue to bless you and your relationship. Now, finally, we look at um, verse 8. All of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. This sort of sums up all of of what has gone on before. All of you be like-minded, work together to understand each other. Be sympathetic. Work together to understand each other's feelings. Love one another. Be compassionate and be humble. Throughout the word of God, we read the same words a number of times. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There is a very dangerous and unhealthy obsession In our culture, with getting your own way, with looking out for yourself, with making sure you get what you want. And this attitude has entered into marriage relationships. And I'm sorry to bring up another home and garden television uh, illustration. But when you're watching those shows where they're buying a house together, uh, very often one or the other of the, the couple will say, well, I usually get my way i 'm going to win this. that is not how couples should work and then on the other occasions, you see that one of the the husband or the wife says, "I want what 's best for us." so I defer some of my desires toward our desires or even sometimes toward your desires, the other's desires this is a far more beautiful, far more God-honoring way to live. We are called to follow Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us. We are not to be those who look out for our own agendas, those who get angry when we don't get our way, those who are um, unsympathetic, those who have their own ideas and refuse to listen to the ideas of others. Although, unfortunately, we see that attitude in professed Christians all over the place. It is not a Christian attitude. It is not honoring to God. And if you find yourself thinking that way, and all of us do on occasion, I would encourage you, step back and say, wait, this is not about me. This is about what is good for those around me. This is about relationship. Now, there's a phrase that Devin and I can't stand, and we hear it all the time. And that phrase is happy wife, happy life. And you know, there's a way in which that's a beautiful thought. If if you work hard to make your spouse happy, and they are happy, that's good. A happy husband, happy life doesn't rhyme, but it's still good. A good idea. But the way it's most often used is, I'm so scared of my spouse, I got to do whatever my spouse wants so that so that she's not mean to me or he's not mean to me, and that's not. That's not a Christian attitude. It's, it's sad when, when sometimes in Christian women's group or Christian men's group, all you hear is complaints about the spouses. That is not appropriate. We are called to encourage our spouses directly and indirectly in, in our communication with other people. Ann Adkins in her book, Split Image, says this. Before we can hope to be good husbands or wives, we must learn to be good Christians. We must all become self-sacrificial and submissive, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble, never repaying evil with evil, but with a blessing. Being people that are so secure in who we are in Jesus Christ that we do not have to put others down, that we do not have to lord it over anyone, but can enter into relationships that exemplify the kingdom of God, that exemplify relationships that are made whole and new. And Christian homes should be places where people can see the values The truth of the kingdom of God lived out. Now in your homes, behind those closed doors, in this time of families isolated together, work at it. Work at being spouses and parents that encourage, and children that encourage your parents to be the best that they can be to understand as best as you can where their hearts and their minds are, to put aside your desires in order to have shared desires. I pray that behind the doors of your homes, children are being nurtured, as it says in Ephesians 5, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Husbands are being encouraged. Wives are being loved and parents are being honored. This is the way we show each other and the world that God is at work within us.